0: You're listening to Open Conversations on Learning Matters, a podcast discussing the challenges our children face in today's educational system and the future of education in the digital age.
1: Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to podcast and video number six in our series of Open Conversations on Learning Matters. And today, we're going to conduct a more in-depth dialogue on the major features of our digital age learning system model of K-12 education. We call it our DOWLS model. And at the end of our last program, we asked the critical question about how local communities can choose to establish one of our Dow centers for lifelong learning. But after further consideration, we decided to focus this program on the reality for K-12 graduates in 2021. As you know, you know, now is it's the graduation season. And so that's going to be the focus of today's program. And here is my partner, Mr. Brian Hack.
0: Hello, folks. Um he described this common ritual that all of us have been through. Near the end of May or in early June of each year, all across our nation, we conduct a rite of passage known as the high school graduation ceremony. The senior or grade 12 students who have completed all of their high school course and unit requirements are honored with uh, speeches, music, special ribbons, emblems. And then the name of each graduate is announced as they cross the stage to receive their high school diploma from school board members or district superintendents. Then after uh, each graduate has been honored, the members of each senior class toss their caps in the air and engage in lots of hugs and laughter with their friends and family. Many photos are taken and then they're off to enjoy grad night festivities. But the following week, all of these high school graduates run smack dab into the hard realities of life after high school, or I should say the majority of them do. Today, uh, we're going to explore and describe those hard realities as a critical context for better understanding the knowledge, skills, attitudes, and behaviors our K-12 students must master in order to achieve success in their future adult lives and chosen jobs or careers. But please keep this in mind over half of the graduates have grade point averages of C or D. So graduation ceremonies. uh, In actuality, they're celebrations of mediocrity. So before we jump in, into the details. However, we want to note, as we did in our foundation book, listening to our students and transcending K-12 to save our nation. And I'll kind of put that up in the air. There we go. Thank you. All right. Um, That we strongly urge students, parents, and grandparents, business owners, employers, community leaders, and community members to do their own research and to have conversations with a wide range of employers in a wide variety of jobs and careers. So don't take our word for it. Uh, Do your own research as we did for over 10 years. Check things out for yourself.
1: Thank you, Brian. And one more important fact to consider. The information we're going to discuss today about the reality for high school graduates in the class of 2021 has really been the reality for three generations. And sometimes they're called Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z. But the critical information we're going to talk about is not really provided to students or parents or other stakeholders, for that matter, by our present K-12 school systems. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today is not discussed very much in our present K-12 schools. And there's a very strong dominant focus on what we refer to as the college degree myth. And students are repeatedly told that the main purpose of high school is to get prepared to go on to college or university to earn a degree. And that that will magically turn into a, you know, living happily ever after with a nice well-paying job or career once they get their college degree. Unfortunately, As the members of the high school class of 2021 are about to discover, the realities of adult life and jobs and careers in the digital age economy and society are hard, are unforgiving, and these realities are changing very rapidly. Okay, so that's kind of the general introduction and context, and now we're going to talk about the first reality, which is change. And we're both going to jump in here, as we, as we do from time to time. But I think the most important thing to think about here is that we are all dealing with very large volumes of change right now. Obviously, the pandemic is one of them. And they're coming at us at very rapid speeds, exponential speeds. So we're dealing with change realities that you know we really haven't dealt with before and they're not just happening here in the United States they're happening all around the globe and you know we now know we were simply unprepared for this pandemic we we were not ready to deal with this pandemic and according to the CDC nearly 28,000 people a day were getting infected with 3400 daily hospitalizations excuse me
0: it's your fan base. I know. They and keep calling. I, I have the same problem. <laughs> I yep. know. Uh, anyway,
1: uh, just the fact that we're dealing with large rapid changes and what this means. And, you know, I'm sure Brian has some thoughts on this, but our high school graduates are simply unprepared for this. And, and that's not unusual. Most adults are unprepared for this kind of change. But the point is is that we're not doing much, if anything, in our K-12 schools to prepare our graduates to deal with this very hard reality of
0: change. The thing I wanted to add to that, and we've probably said this prior in one of our other uh, podcasts, but again, 80 to 85% of people in our nation, Never get a college degree during their entire life. So it it baffles me when i when i um, when we research some of that information, the last few years that I was engaged in my profession as a teacher, looking forward to retirement, um, that so much of the emphasis was on that very point. The the idea that kids are supposed to graduate high school, go to college, uh, and that somehow was magically going to solve all of their problems. And the the, the reality was that that the vast majority of students that I taught, um, regarding the rest of their school day, they were pretty much in what I would call the compliance mode. They didn't really like what was going on. They just kind of put up with it because they don't want to piss off mom and dad. Yep. Uh, they, they like some of their teachers. They like coming to school to see their friends. Uh, but the actual um, program of standardized teaching with a heavy emphasis on, uh, you know, taking courses that would prepare them for college, that for a lot of kids just they just weren't ready for that, or they just didn't care about that. Right. So when they took electives, uh, they got tended to get that was the favorite part of their day. You know, is to be motivated and in, in studying something or learning about something that that was on their uh, yeah. that uh, appealed to their interest level. The present labor market across our nation has changed rapidly over the past twenty years, and even faster during the present COVID nineteen pandemic. And I'm going to go over a couple specific examples. According to to the New York Times, in an article entitled What Women Lost Related to the Pandemic, published uh, May of this year, 2021, 5.1 million mothers lost their jobs because they had to stop working in order to stay home to take care of their children. And today we still have 1.3 million who are still unemployed and only 56% of women are working in paid Mm -hmm. jobs. The lowest percentage since 1896. Wow, that's mind boggling. Very low, very low. Also, this situation is still going on because children under 12 can't get vaccinated or not yet anyway. And because most Mm K-12 schools are still not fully reopened. Men must stay home to help younger children with online learning and significant numbers of women have quit their jobs altogether. Childcare and elder care are limited and expensive. So many women must stay home to care for their children or elderly parents or other elderly relatives. And this is going on with the reality currently that schools are closed for the summer, uh, which is very different than our model because we, We don't prefer to be on the agricultural calendar uh, (laughs) from early times in American history. We're trying to adjust to, quote, the digital world. Yeah, there you go. So according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, we still have a a national unemployment rate of 6.9%, which is about 10 million people. But the statistic does not include those people who have given up uh, seeking work. So the real total unemployment rate is probably closer to 10% or about 14 million people. And according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics data in 2020, women's annual earnings were 82% of men's and the gap is even wider for many women of color. Though women only made 57 cents per dollar earned by men in 1973, uh, when this report was made. Progress has stalled and we're still far from closing this pay gap. And the wage gap is even greater for many women. To earn what white non-Hispanic men earned in 2020, Asian American and Pacific Islander women had to work until March 9. Mothers won't catch up until June 4th, compared with fathers on average. For many women of color, equal pay falls later and later in the year, meaning the amount of time that you pay taxes before you actually have income paying yourself. Right. If that makes sense. Right. For Black women, it's not until August 3rd. For Native American women, it's not until September 8th. Lastly, for Latinas, equal pay Uh, equal pay day is more than nine months into the year on October 21st. And compared with white men, the same education, black and Latina women with only a bachelor's degree have the largest gap at 65%. And black women with advanced degrees earn 70% of what white men with average advanced degrees earn. Educational attainment, Is not enough to close gender earnings gaps. In fact, most women with advanced degrees earn less than white men on average with only a bachelor's degree. And the pay gap for women is growing, not shrinking. Right. And so,
1: one of the things, (laughs) you know, we, we, well, all those statistics are important because we don't share that information with the students. right? And it's like if we talk to the female students and said, here's reality, okay, as soon as you graduate, guess what? You're behind. Your wages are never going to equal those of white males, generally speaking, depending upon what kind of job or career you get. And the other thing I want to go back to just for a second is all of these folks, men and women, after graduation are dealing with these very hard realities of the job market. And the first point we made was about change. And I don't care what job you pick or what career you pick after high school or whether or not you go to college, it doesn't really make any difference in the sense that whatever that job is or whatever that career is, it's going to change rapidly. So what is the number one skill set you need? you need to be a really high quality lifelong learner. Where do we teach that in K12? We don't. Yeah, we simply don't teach it. So the bottom line here as we're saying in the older times, you know, like your parents, my parents, our grandparents, many of my dad's friends, for example, they left school in the 8th grade. Okay? But in those times, they could go out and get a decent job. They could get married. They could raise a family. They were okay. But now those kind of jobs are rapidly disappearing and they're almost gone. They're simply not there anymore. So you need to have, you know, uh, at least a high school education. But the point we're making is what kind of high school education and how are you learning the skill sets that you need to know in today's world, and and the other point we make here is that the current digital age job market, whether we like it or not, and there are many people in America who are really unhappy with this hmm. job market is digital and it's global.
0: Yes. Okay. So yeah.
1: when you leave high school and you go out to get a job, you aren't just competing with the people in your community or your state or across the United States, yeah. you're competing with people all around the globe.
0: Go into a Walmart and go shopping, and try to find a product that was not made in China yep. or some other part of the world. Try to find a product that was actually made in the United States. There you go. Again, I probably said this before, but back in the '80s, that was a common theme on commercials. You know, buy American. Well, what what the heck happened to that? Because uh, it's I, I'm getting to the point where I wonder. What's going on in this country, we can't even we can't even I mean, we definitely do well with military oh, yeah. and uh, spending, uh, you know, research in the medical field. But yet we're the one nation, uh, you know, the democratic mindset politically, yes. supposedly, hopefully. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we don't have um, medical insurance for every single person. Not even close. So, wow. You know, we, we get we get so many things going on in this nation. And I used to wonder about that in my last few years of teaching. No one wanted to talk about, at least at the district level, no one wanted to talk about the fact that college for most young people today is incredibly unaffordable. Yep. You know, so, yeah, this wonderful family over here that's never had a college graduate. Okay, fine. So, you know, this this young person is going to graduate, uh, go to college and try to get a diploma. But what's going to be the after effect of that financially? Right. You know,
1: I think one of the other things before we leave this second point that we we emphasize throughout our work in our research and on our two books. Uh, we try to be as objective and accurate as we can, and you hear a lot on TV today about people who don't like globalism. We don't like globalism. We don't like that. We want to, you know, it's Fortress America, and it's like, folks. First of all, globalism is an incorrect descriptor. Okay? Right. It's not. There is no ideology called global globalism. <laughs> okay. People are not necessarily in love with globalism. That's not the case. The reality is, and we've got a couple of specific examples right now. Our auto manufacturing plants in the last month have had to shut down. Why? They can't get the computer chips they need to manufacture vehicles. And they're now gradually starting up again. Well, where are those computer chips made? They're Hmm. made in Taiwan. Okay. Well, then the question is, well, why aren't we making them here? Well, the Biden administration right now is talking about starting up some plants here in the United States again. But the point is that whether we like it or not, the global economy is interconnected. The supply chains are all interconnected. And one of the other realities that's going on right now is that different nations are recovering from the pandemic at different rates. Right. So China, for example, right now is recovering faster than we are. Okay, and one of the reasons for that is they are a very harsh, autocratic communist system. So in China, it wasn't an option to not get vaccinated. (laughs) No, You, you all got vaccinated. Trust me. So they're recovering faster. So they're opening faster and they eat one of their main diet things is pork. They eat the biggest pork consumers on the globe. Well, guess what? They got to feed their hogs. And so they're buying up all of the food supply for the hogs in China, which means there isn't enough to go around for the rest of the world. Okay. Point being very simply that when our high school graduates go out to get a job, they're going to bump into these hard facts. Okay. And this isn't a political thing one way or the other. It's just reality. Here we are we live in a global interconnected world that's how it is and, and but again in our present schools our students and their parents aren't really given
0: the information they need to to really deal with that so it was actually discouraged in the district that i was in after the 216 election yep. uh, and i even wrote a couple letters to the head the head folks at our district office and i said look I know, you know, I'm just a guitar teacher. I mean, I used to teach social science, but you know, these kids are asking some very legitimate questions. And for me to follow the district policy of just kind of, "Oh, okay, well, I don't want to get involved in that." Well, that's just that's not realistic. These no. kids are smart. They see a lot of stuff going on. They hear their parents talking about all all these different things. Uh, as a teacher, it just is instinctively wrong in every, every nerve in my body with the idea that I'm just going to sit here and quietly say, well, you know, I really don't want to get into politics right now. You know, let's get back to our guitar playing. Well, yeah, I get that. But that's kids asking questions. It doesn't matter what class you're in. It could be the history class. It could be PE. It could be whatever it is, the biology class. Those kids are going to ask questions on or off the topic all throughout the day.
1: Yeah, and going back to what you mentioned before, and I think this is very critical, learning is all about being engaged, being motivated, and the learners have to see some relevance, some value, some meaning. And so if they ask you a question as a teacher and you kind of just shine it on or say, well, I I really don't want to get into that, that's a turnoff. It is. That's a turnoff. And they know... (laughs) As I used to tell people, students have excellent BS detectors. They, yeah. they know when they're being shined on. They know when something's not right. And you need to answer their questions. And you need to, as our book says, listening to our students, we right. need to listen to them. And they have very good questions. And we need to talk about those kinds of things and help them to understand what's really going on you know, and and it's not political one way or the other. It's okay. just reality. Okay, here's where we are. This is what's happening in the job market. You all are going to leave high school. <clears throat> Excuse me, you're going to leave high school. You're going to go out to get a job or a career at some point, could be right away, could be after a couple of years of community college, could be after military service, right. could be after you get a degree, whatever. But here's what you're going to run into. Okay.
0: I had a class, uh, well, the, the 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 day after the uh, presidential election of 2016, I took about the first 15 minutes of each class, and, and kids came in, and I said, hey, you know, just instead of grabbing your guitars, come up here and have a seat up, up front, just, you know, and I'm going to go through a few things. And I remember getting up in front of them and saying, here, this this is a map of the United States. I know you all know that, but let me show you this little section here. This is what's called the Rust Belt. Okay, let's talk about what, what that, what, when you hear that term, what does that really mean? Right. You know, these are older industrialized cities. Uh, the infrastructure is really falling apart because we yep. haven't taken care of business in this country. And these people who live in this part of the country, they're very frustrated with government. Let's talk about what is the Electoral College. You know, even though California voted one way, that is offset by a system that we started, you know, way back with our constitution. Right. You know, so I wanted, when I went through all of that, I, I said, I'm not trying to say who should have won and who should have lost. I'm simply trying to explain some of the factors that played into last night. And by the way, the media missed all of this stuff. So another lesson in all of this is just because it's on the media, don't always think it's 100% accurate. Right. And they they should be the first ones to admit, you know, they uh, they had their head up their backside in terms of trying to predict what was going to happen in this situation. Right. So you go through a lot of that and kids came back later on in the week. They never had any of those types of discussions in class, in their other classes. It just kind of big taboo you know don't talk about it
1: right very weird very weird you know and and there's two there's two related issues here one issue is they need to have those kinds of conversations right so they begin to understand is when you look at a problem yes whatever it is let's say infrastructure or the job market or whatever problem it is how do you get to the accurate information about what's really happening yeah okay and they, you know, kids nowadays spend a ton of time on social media. And and going back to your teaching of music, you know, my granddaughter is in love with Korean boy bands. Yeah. So for her, music is international. Okay. Mm. And she knows everything you'd ever want to know. <laughs> or don't about, want to know. Or don't want to know about <laughs> Korean boy bands. But the point is, if she's in school and she asks you a question about that and you just shine it on and say, oh, man, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. You yeah. just turned her off. Right. right. She's going to just mentally check out and say, well, OK. You know, so we need to be real with kids. We need to have real conversations with them. And that leads us to point number three here, which is hey you just graduated welcome to United States of America we have this thing called the wealth gap oh, okay yeah and the research we did is and this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone but it's a surprise to a lot of high school graduates we live in a society in a country where wealth is distributed in a highly unequal fashion and the wealthiest 1% of families in the u.s hold, about forty percent of all the wealth, and the bottom ninety percent of families hold less than one quarter of all the wealth. so we have nearly twenty five percent of American families who have less than ten thousand dollars in wealth, which raises you know the immediate question that you raised before:
0: how can they pay for college? They can't. They don't have the money, okay. Right. And and, and it's just um, the pandemic just brought oh, that yeah. on, you yeah. know, more intense. Yeah. If you were a very highly, uh, very wealthy person, uh, the pandemic was very nice to you. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure yeah. Walmart uh, and, and Costco uh, did just fantastic. Well, and, yeah.
1: you know, Amazon, I mean, they right. just... They did amazing. Yeah, exactly. Because people had to stay home ordering things online. Online. And so, boom, here we go. And so, the reality here is that for the lower group of income earners, during the pandemic, their wealth decreased. Exactly. It went down 20%. And we broke that into some numbers. And again, I think this is important for students and parents because you hear all this stuff on the media, but nobody ever talks really about specifics. And so right. lower middle class right now, that means 32000 bucks a year up to 53000 bucks a year, starting at 15 bucks an hour up to $25.67 an hour. That's lower middle class. Middle class. We all talk about the middle class. Fifty thousand bucks. Yeah, up to one hundred and I'll call it one hundred and seven thousand in, in round numbers. That's twenty five dollars an hour up to fifty one dollars an hour, and then the upper upper middle class is one hundred and six thousand dollars annually, up to three hundred seventy three thousand, three hundred seventy four thousand, or fifty one bucks an hour up to one hundred and seventy nine dollars an hour. Yeah. And as we may have seen on the news, our Congress right now is debating once again 15 bucks an hour. They, they've been debating this for 10 years. Yeah. Oh, my God. Could we have 15 bucks an hour? Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you just crossed the stage. You just got your diploma. Hey, welcome to reality. And reality is that if you'd like to have a decent family and a decent home and a decent living, you need to earn. 27 dollars and 40 cents an hour almost twice bucks no almost double yeah. yeah so it's like but where do our students and their parents where do they get this information they're not getting it from the schools i guarantee you no. if we, if we don't have those kinds of conversations so as we said, the overall reality for our K 12 graduates is that food, transportation, housing, healthcare, clothing, furniture, energy are very expensive. Costs keep rising every year. So we've got to educate those kids with the proper skill sets to really get good jobs and careers so they can earn what we will call a living wage. Right. Minimum wage nobody can live on minimum wage. I'm sorry. Nobody. It's no, just it's just not going to happen. So anyway, I will let
0: you dig into the next one. According to U.S. News and World Reports, however, the cost of the college or university degrees required for the top 25 highest paying jobs and careers uh, for 2021 now range from one hundred uh-huh. to two hundred thousand uh, for a bachelor of science degree, plus another $23,000 to $35,000 for a master's degree, plus another $28,000 to $40,000 for a PhD. And according to Forbes magazine, 60% of American families simply cannot afford to pay for these kinds of college degrees, and the average total college or university loan debt for these degrees now runs from fifty to as high as 250000 and the total college university loan debt in the United States in 2021 now exceeds 1.7 trillion dollars. Right. And this isn't a credit card that you can just magically, uh, no. you know, refinance or you know, it's a whole different thing when you borrow uh, in in those kinds of environments. You know, totally different.
1: Well, and you know, if you look at the top 25. 25- highest paid jobs in our nation. You know, you're talking about surgeons. You're talking about internal medicine people, pediatricians, engineers, architects, judges, um, you know, people in those positions. They all have to have advanced degrees. That's right. Right. So what we're we're not saying is that going to college or going to a university is necessarily bad. It depends no. on what you want to do, and if you want to be a doctor or a nurse or a petroleum engineer or you know whatever, yeah, you've got to have a college degree. The problem is, how do you pay for it? Okay, how do you how do you get into those kinds of things, especially if you are in the quote unquote lower middle class or the working poor? Yeah, it's it's almost impossible. It's a it's a
0: jaded system. Yeah. Because it keeps reinforcing the same wealthy families and their kids yeah. you know, continue on. That's and right. uh, it's, it's it's not exactly a democratic education <laughs> no. Uh, no. you know
1: Well, and shifting just a little bit here to something on on item six here today, that's a little more positive, right. We raised the question, so. Where will our K-12 graduates work in their future jobs or careers? Well, the truth is that there are significant numbers and different kinds of jobs and careers that do not require a college education or not much. Okay, Mm -hmm. so we looked at U.S. news and world reports for 2021, and they gave us a list of a whole bunch of different jobs or careers that have that middle income salary or slightly better Okay. And we're not going to go through all of these, but, you know, we'll just mention a few. And I'll, the first one is a cement mason or concrete finisher. (laughs) Hard work. Yeah. My my dad was a a mason, uh, a master mason and a master carpenter. And that's what he did his entire life. So if you needed, you know, concrete poured and finished, you could do it, concrete blocks, whatever. But, go to your average high school counselor and say, hi there. I would like to know how I become a concrete finisher or a Mason. And they will <laughs> look you right in the eye and say, um, yeah, and go to the career center. Yeah. And when you get there, they'll say, um, yeah, we're not sure. We'll plug you into a video that we did in 1980. Yeah. We don't know. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and it's like, the kids, the students, and their parents are simply not being given this information. And, you know, we hear a lot about alternative forms of energy, okay? Well, if you're a wind turbine technician, you can make 53000 bucks a year. You don't need a college degree to do that, okay? And, you know, you know this because you went into business, a sound engineering technician, 57,000 bucks a year. Right. You know, and it's like, hey, there's some really good jobs out there, and as we're now being told across the country, there's a huge shortage of these positions because we don't have enough people who are being trained in these kinds of jobs.
0: The the common theme about the state of America's infrastructure is, is just, I mean, the information, the statistics on all of this are very clear. We need a cultural change yes. in the way that we perceive employment in this country. Yeah. And uh, Don Prentice, our our former partner, um, famous phrase that he shared with you and I for so many times, the culture always wins. That's right. And... That's really the problem that I ran into uh, with my last years of high school and, and, and prior to that, obviously, I was dealing with a culture that was resistant to change. And so if you try to have these conversations with counselors and say, you know, the country's falling apart, we need young people in all of these categories of employment. And when you talk to the professional people currently, working in those professions, this is the number one thing they scream about. Exactly. They can't find young people to to move through the ranks and, and fill in the gaps. Right. If they're just not happening. Nope. And yet the country's falling apart. Right. So something's got to change. Yeah. You know, it we we can't have everybody sitting behind a computer uh punching a keyboard making a hundred grand a year. That's not realistic. And nor nor do we no. Nor do we need that in the current situation. We need a whole change in the way that we view employment. Well, and, and I think going back to K-12 for 30
1: seconds, the yeah. problem is, is that because there's such a huge, huge focus on the college degree myth, as we call it, you know, kids are constantly being told by their teachers, their counselors, everybody, you've got to go to college, you got to go to college, you got to go to college. We're not saying college is bad. At all no, for 1015 percent it's fine right but what is also going on and sometimes it's very subtle is people kind of look down their noses right. at oh you want to be an electrician why would you want to do that you know you want to be a plumber yeah you know they, they don't give those jobs a fair shake. And they don't give the good information that the kids need. And I don't know about you, but if my toilet is plugged up, <laughs> I need a plumber. Uh, you know, and you can't do yeah. that from behind a
0: computer. No, it's there's uh, <laughs> there's not an app that's going to magically uh, <laughs> knock on your door and solve it doesn't your problems quite work that way. You yeah, know?
1: and yeah. the other thing is, there are lots of jobs out there uh, that are simply unknown. You know, right. we, we, the kids and the parents, there is no knowledge of them because we don't talk about them in K 12. As an example, the average tugboat captain makes 101,000 bucks a year. How do we talk about that in K 12? Never. We, nobody knows about that. Okay. Right. If you want to be, and I have a good friend of mine who is a custom cabinet maker. Yeah. And he makes well over the average of sixty-five thousand a year. He's busy every minute of the day. He's got a ton of customers wanting to, yeah. you know, because he's really good at what he does, you know. And and our the lady who helps us with cleaning our house, she loves horses and mules. And she says, you know, twice a year this gentleman comes around to her ranch to take care of her horse's feet and the mule's feet and legs, that person is called a farrier. Right. Okay, and he makes 50 bucks an hour. Well, <laughs> boom, wow. that's how it is. And if you are a farrier who happens to be good enough to deal with thoroughbred horses, you're making 200,000 bucks a year.
0: I used to run this story with my students and I would say, okay, so student A, does what their counselor tells them to do. They go to college, they get a degree. They still can't find a job. And after uh, finally accepting a part-time job at Home Depot, they move back in with mom and dad, and now they're uh, converting the garage. Yep. Okay. Student B graduates from high school gets involved in an internship, gets involved in um, sheet metal and, uh, you know, gets heavily involved in the construction trades. By the time he's 30 years old, because he's been making uh, over 80,000 a year for so long. He tells his girlfriend, let's let's get married and let's go out and uh, look for our first uh, startup home. There you go. So, you know, my point to to my students is, let's look at both of these people 10 years beyond graduation, and let's assess where they're at in American society. And the US now has a significant shortage of these skilled workers. Well, that's been going on for a couple decades. Yeah. Well, we just,
1: just, uh, two years ago, we had a lot of work done on our roof. Right. Very skilled guy, did a great job. And I just, you know, I was talking to him while I was working. You know, I always ask questions about how did you get your training and et cetera. And he told me, and he told me flat out, he said, I cannot get enough good young people who are interested in becoming roofers. I just can't get them. And so I'm backed up on, I've got a huge list of jobs, you know, in future that I can't get to because I don't have enough helpers and I can't get them because they're not there. They're not trained. Yeah. They don't know what to do. And I'd be happy to train them, <laughs> but I can't get them. You know? And so the question in my mind was immediately, well, why, you know, what's going on here? Why aren't kids in high school being told about these kinds of jobs? And and this guy is, I don't know, he's probably making well over six figures a year easily, yeah. you know, because he's just got people lined up forever to fix roofs or you know put on new roofs but he said I can't get the young people there's no, no there's no interest you know
0: we have um, several projects that my wife and I want to get to now that the pandemic is hopefully uh, winding down it's impossible to find people yeah we've got one person that might get over here and make a bid within the next month and even if he does and we accept that he doesn't think he would be able to start anything until October. Right. I mean, it's just that far out. It's because there's this mass shortage. Right. Uh, it, looking at this next one here, the true reality for all of the jobs or careers listed and described above is simply this. In the digital age, all jobs and careers require the following skill sets at very high quality levels. And of course, we're talking about our, um, um, our digital gotta, skill sets. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I got to pause it there. I want to want to run, run that over again. That, that kind of messed up. It's okay. In the digital age, all jobs and careers require the following skill sets at very high quality levels. And we are talking about our digital age skill sets, which is an open ongoing developing list. Right now, I think we're at number 52. Right, But people, again, that read that list, the common comment is, oh my gosh, why didn't we learn this in high school? Well, good question. Nationwide, everything is currently out of balance because we not only have a significant shortage of skilled workers, we have significant numbers that would be generations X, Y, and Z of current employees who lack these skill sets. So we need to shift from the over focus on college prep to a strong focus on the digital age skill sets for K 12.
1: Yeah. And let's just cite a few examples here. And yeah. in terms of ask yourself this question, folks when you leave high school, I don't care what your goals are, what your interests are you know that everybody's going to have their own individual dreams and and things that they want to try and do whatever those might be and we've already mentioned lifelong learning okay but let's just take a couple of examples here personal financial management do you know how to manage your own money okay do you know how to construct a budget do you know how to set up a savings account do you know how to invest can you do your own taxes all of those kinds of things where do you learn that in high school answer you don't right you simply don't because it's not there and we have talked with a wide range of employers and all different kinds of businesses number one thing they tell us over and over and over again well three things one we need people who show up period right number two they show up on time And number three, they know how to deliver excellent customer service in whatever the business might be. And I I talked to one gentleman up in Yuba City, for example, who owned a bunch of different car dealerships. And he hired young Latino men to sell his cars. And he said, you know, I put them through a training program, uh, very rigorous vetting. If they have any problems with drugs or any alcohol or anything, no way. I don't hire them. Right. But he said, once I get them
0: trained,
1: they make six figures a year. Okay. Wow. Because they know how to deliver outstanding customer service. Okay. And again, where do you learn that in high school? Answer,
0: not there. Okay. I was looking a little bit further down the list. Media analysis and evaluation skills. There you go. Wow. We could really use that in this country. Yeah. Technical writing and technical reading skills. Fluency in at least uh, one world language other than American English. You know, three quarters of the world is bilingual. Uh, Yes. You know, it's just amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, one side of my family, they're all from Sweden. And in the Swedish schools, English is required, so they all speak Swedish and they all speak English, and I mean fluent English yeah. yeah. I and mean, I am embarrassed because i don't I can't speak Swedish at all. They talk with me on the phone, and it's like, Meh, it's English, no big deal because they study it from kindergarten forward every year. They must study and you know learn how to speak English. Mm-hmm. And it's like, folks, why aren't we doing some of those kinds of things in our schools? How are our graduates going to compete in the world marketplace if they can't speak other languages? You know, I I have one of my cousins who is fluent in Japanese. She has been able to name her price. (laughs) And she works part time in Japan, part time in the United States. But because she's fluent in Japanese... She can get hired in a heartbeat.
0: And she makes yeah. a very, very nice, very nice salary. I that's used cool. to tell them, my students that were bilingual. I said, you know, you might want to consider professions where that skill set that you probably don't think a whole lot about, right. but you've been working on it your whole life. There's a lot. It's a huge demand. I mean, the police force, uh, all kinds of occupations that they need translators. They need people that have that skill set every minute. <laughs> and so, hey, you know, give that give, if you enjoy it, give that some consideration.
1: Yeah. And, and another one I think we should mention. And this is, you know, again, something that we don't we just don't talk about much in K-12. And that is small business enterprise and entrepreneurial skills. You know, And I remember we had a conversation with one of your former students after high school, went to Sierra College. First year was very boring. He said it was essentially the same stuff all over again. Second year, he took a business course. And in there, he learned about small business enterprise and entrepreneurial skills. And the professor had all the students pretend or for real, either way. Model. Model, they were going to construct their own small business, whatever that might be. And the requirements were they had to go out and interview three different small business owners of, from different businesses to find out what they did and how they did it. The second requirement was by the end of the semester, they had to create their own plan, a business plan to set up their own small business. Right. That could be whatever they wanted it to be. And he said. Wow, that was excellent. A great, what a great course. Yeah, he said, a course, you know, because you could really sit down and talk with other people and think about, OK, I want to have a business that does this, whatever it is. Uh, how do I set that up? How do I get my financing? How do I get started? You know, all of those questions. Yes. And he said, high school. Never mentioned. <laughs> Not there. <laughs> yeah." So, and I think you've said this before, but 85% of these skill sets are simply not in the present K-12 curriculum. They aren't there. We don't teach them. The kids don't learn them. So they go out after graduation, and it's like somebody hits them right between the eyes with a two-by-four because it's like, wait, you don't have these skills? Bye-bye not interested in hiring you, go away. Thank you very much. You know, And as you previously noted, a lot of them are now living at home with mom and dad because they can't get a job that pays very much.
0: In the digital age, our K-12 graduates must also live with another hard reality. We live in a time of huge widespread uses of websites, social media platforms, talk radio, and cable TV to transmit mountains of disinformation, outright lies, biased, slanted, and hurtful political propaganda that includes hate speech, racism, sexism, uh, xenophobia, homophobia, and advocacy for fear, hatred, greed, and violence. This hard reality requires all of our K-12 graduates to be highly skilled in analyzing and evaluating information that is transmitted on websites, social media platforms, cable TV and talk radio, and it requires all of our K-12 students to use highly uh, high quality research and data analysis skills, practices and processes. And once again, In our K-12 systems, these vital critical skill sets are not taught and are not in the curriculum or courses of study, and our students simply do not learn them, apply them, or practice them. So we need to refocus on a culture in our nation that highly values truth, honesty, ethics, and integrity.
1: Right, and again, let me reemphasize we're not taking a political position here one way or the other. We're simply saying that whatever your personal politics might be, we don't care. When you look at these sources of information, okay, and our young people, I mean, I have four grandkids, they are on social media hours every day. Yeah. They watch a ton of TV. They do all this stuff and, you know, they will ask me various questions which is great. I encourage that. But the point is, when you look at a TV show or you're on social media and they're giving you some information about something, how do you know it's true? How do you know it's accurate? How do you know that it's been carefully researched? Answer, they don't have those kind of skill sets. They don't know how to do that. So they look at something and go, oh, grandpa, this is what it says on this website. And I always remember, this is a great example. Uh, There's a gentleman by the name of Alan November. And he said that his son was working on, maybe his daughter, I can't remember. Don't quote me on this. Uh, She was doing a, a project in high school on the Holocaust. And she came home, she was doing this research paper. And so she showed it to him. And in her research paper... She said, you know, Dad, the Holocaust really didn't exist. And he said to himself, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. So he said, well, where did you get that information? And she said, well, I looked at a website from a university. And one of the professors there at this university has a whole course that he teaches on the fact that the Holocaust is never happened. It's not true. Um, So... And this gentleman is, is an expert on teaching and learning. And so he said, I didn't argue the point. I just said, you know, before you finish this paper, I think you need to go next door and have a little conversation with your grandmother about this. Really? Yeah. And so she did. She went over and they're sitting out on the porch and she's talking about this research paper and her grandmother is listening very carefully And she said, who is this professor? And so she told her grandmother his name and the university. And her grandmother said, well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but what he's telling you is not true. And she said at that point, she pulled up her sleeve on her left arm and these numbers were tattooed there. And she said, you see these numbers? And her granddaughter said, yes. And she said, well, These numbers were put there by the Nazis in Germany, and I was in one of those concentration camps, okay? So let me tell you about that. Yeah. So they had a very nice conversation. She filled her in, and she said, now what you need to do is go back and look at that website very, very carefully and go through everything, check it all out. So the granddaughter did that. Right. And way down at the bottom, after you scroll through about 25 pages, <laughs> there's a footnote. <laughs> and it says, the university does not agree with Professor so-and-so, and we do not endorse any of his views whatsoever. Uh, he has a position here. He is tenured, but we do not agree with what he's saying, and we don't endorse or agree with what he's saying. But because she didn't know how to do that. In the beginning, she just assumed, well, he's he's right. And then she learned very quickly that he was very wrong. So it's, you know, how do our kids learn those skill sets? So you go to a website, how do you know it's true? Where are they getting their information?
0: Who well, knows? there's been a lot of information uh, in the media recently about uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yep. And I can guarantee people... Uh watching this program as a history teacher. Uh the story of Black Wall Street uh did not appear in any of the textbooks. No. And it it it's it's rather crazy to, to think to think about that time in history as a teacher, like many other people. You're you're stuck with a textbook and you go through it as best you can, and you try to add some supplemental things. Uh, for students, but conveniently, this is still going on in American uh, oh, yeah. society. They are trying to candy coat, and you know, they're trying to to uh, generate their own interpretation of history. Uh, we see it with our congressional leaders. I mean, it's it's. I think the point that we're trying to make is a teaching our students to have those analytical skills to critically evaluate especially on the basis of truth, facts versus uh, propaganda and, you know, angles designed to uh, right. get get to a, a different conclusion for right. political purposes. Right. It's a huge skill set that our young people Absolutely. and at and a district that, that says, well, let's try to not get into those issues. That's not the answer, no. No. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, and and moving on to point number nine here because sure. we're, we're running on on our time. You know, yeah. whether we like it or not, right now we live in the disunited States of America. Yeah, and uh, over the past thirty years or so, we've developed a lot of political conflicts, and and there's serious divisions right now. Maybe some people are saying we're on the brink of civil war. We saw an attack on our capital on January sixth. And so it's like, okay, what's really going on here in terms of K-12 education? Well, in our books, in our two books, we really work to remain politically neutral. Right. But the point is, in the present K-12 system, go to your local community, wherever you may live, (laughs) and the school system is the school system. And you either accept it or you don't. And if you don't want to send your kids there, that's your business. We see more and more kids going to homeschooling or private schools or charter schools or whatever. But in our model, we specifically designed it so that it has a capacity for local communities to come together, very important, local communities to come together to have conversations about what we've just been discussing, which is when our kids graduate from K-12, what kind of skill sets do we want them to have? Okay, And if the public schools or the private schools or the charter schools are not getting the job done, and we want to set up what we call a Dallas Center for Lifelong Learning in our local community, we can do that. And we can say, listen, when our kids graduate, we want them to have these digital age skill sets, okay? Because I don't care what your political views are.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: If you're going to yeah. get a job, yes, you got to have these skill sets. There's regardless no regardless of your political view.
0: Doesn't make any difference. Ninety percent, ninety-five percent of all jobs require, yeah, uh, these skill sets. Right, and exactly. The other thing is.
1: All of your children and grandchildren, and you as a person who's currently living in this great United States, we have some very serious problems that we've got to deal with. Okay, so when kids graduate, here's here would be our short list we want them to do very high quality problem solving, whatever it may be. Right, number two. We want to engage diverse groups of people with different political views in open, honest, truthful, positive, and productive conversations so they can build consensus agreements. Now, I don't care what your political views are. You go out in your local community and take a look at the infrastructure. The roads have potholes. The bridges are falling apart. <laughs> you know, I don't know where you live, but the power grid goes out about every other week. And yeah. There are lots of places in this nation that do not have internet connections. Uh, my home county here in California, there's no cell phone service at all, zero in that county. It's way up in the mountains, okay. And thirdly, we need to help our kids work with other folks to find common ground because if you're going to come up with good solutions to these problems you got to sit down together and co-create those solutions you know and build a consensus agreement so you can do the work and right now in our schools we just don't teach those skill sets it's it's very very difficult so that brings us
0: to item 10 yeah as our last item for today's conversation is that our K12 graduates will be living in a in a society an economy and a political reality that is dominated by large complex bureaucracies. We have a population in the US that now exceeds uh, 330 million people. And in order to meet the needs and requirements of all of those people, our social, economic and political organizations have necessarily grown larger and are more complex. So K-12 graduates needs to have a master, the necessary knowledge, skills, attitudes, and behaviors that are required for employment in large, complex bureaucracies. Also, many of the current employees and managers in these large, complex bureaucracies lack the skill sets we have noted today precisely because they themselves graduated from our obsolete and broken K-12 school systems in generations X, Y, and Z. And I would include millennials in that as well. Absolutely. Here are some examples of our present large complex bureaucracies, our healthcare systems, uh, insurance companies, local, state, and federal agencies, departments and bureaus, county, state, and federal court systems, very large businesses like Walmart, Costco, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, ExxonMobil, United Health Group, uh, Berkshire, Hathaway, Kosh Industries, Cargill, Publix, Supermarkets, CVS, Royal Dutch Shell, Microsoft, Oracle, General Motors, Ford, IBM, and the list goes on, the U.S. military forces.
1: Yeah, these are all complex, large organizations. Right. Okay. And, you know, again, where are our kids learning how you function in a big bureaucracy? Or on the other side, if you're a customer, how do you deal with a big bureaucracy? So let's say you go to Costco and you're not happy with something that you buy. Do you know what to do? Right. Okay. Uh, you got a problem in your local community, so you go to your city government or you go to your county government to deal with a particular problem, like there's a big sewer pipe down my street and it's leaking. <laughs> How do I get that I fixed? hate it when
0: that happens. I hate it, yes, that's terrible.
1: <laughs> but again... The skill set of knowing how to deal with bureaucracies is very complex, and it's something that kids need to learn. They need to practice. And as we've said, you've got 73 million millennials now. Right. right. And as you noted, they work for different companies or organizations. And if they find that people are not listening to them or valuing their views, they're turned off. They don't like repetitive work. They're very good collaborators, and they work well with older generations, and they are the least racist of all of the younger generations. But in our K-12 schools, we do not engage the students in learning these skill sets for success in dealing with large bureaucracies. So we say to kids, well, after graduation, you might want to consider going into the Air Force. Okay. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. What skill sets do I have to have if I go to work for? I mean, the the U.S. military is a huge series of bureaucracies. Okay. How do they know what to do? Answer We don't engage them in learning those skill sets. So, and, and, you know, the important thing here is in our model, okay, it's really designed. and in each local community, as you noted, to get different age groups and different kinds of people to collaborate, to co-create, to work together with each other. And that's what we need. Okay. I don't care where you live. In your local community, you've got problems. Okay. How do you solve those? Well, you've got to get people together. you got to have conversations. you got to work on things. you got to come up with good ideas. And once again, our model, Ardell's model, is all about engaging kids in learning these digital age skill
0: sets and understanding how to do these things. That, that's the bottom line here. It's an effort to get uh, local communities to transcend our present broken and obsolete K-12 school systems. Um, in our next open conversation on learning matters, we will dig into the process local communities can use to establish a DAL Center for Lifelong Learning as a high quality option for their K-12 children and young adults. So that is our second book. Our second book is a complete guide step-by-step. How to, yep. Yes, exactly. Yep, okay. Well, I think
1: we've had a very good conversation here today about the realities that our children are gonna run into after they leave high school and what we need to do. And we will see you all next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.